Let's Talk Care with Casper and Christy, produced in the Ed Center Auditorium. Opinions expressed by guests on the show are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of the host or Prometica. So one of our previous podcasts, we met with our compliance team and we talked about lateral violence and burnout stuff and brought us into the safety conversation. And we thought it would be a good opportunity to have some guests here with us today. Absolutely. So I'd like to welcome Dan Paez, who is a police captain here at Toledo Hospital on campus, which is relatively new for us here. It's something we started a few years ago. And we have the chief of security for ProMedica, Brad Connor. Welcome, guys. Well, thank you. Thank Glad you. to be here. So you have like 40 years of police work experience. And Brad, you have 40 plus years as well. That's correct. Starting a new police department. How did that even come to be? What were the main barriers to getting that done? Yeah, I think for me, it was finding the right person to handle the day-to-day stuff. So in reality, I'm the police chief for the Permedica Police Department, but I knew that I couldn't be here because I also have responsibilities throughout the system for security. So I had to find that right person to come in to help build those policies, those practices, and things of that nature. And so for me, it was an easy call because Dan and I worked together when I was the police chief in Bowling Green. And he was the police chief in Perrysburg. Mm -hmm. And so we connected. We actually had breakfast one day and discussed the possibility. And he was very eager to come on board. And so just finding that right person, first of all, was the key. And then, of course, on that, start building our policies, right, and our expectations for our people. You know, we're not looking for a lot of arrests. In fact, we aren't looking for arrests. And we need to make that known to any officers that we hire, right? Because you get a lot of these younger folks out of the academy. They're looking for all the activity. And they certainly get activity here, right, as we all know. Mm -hmm. But we're not looking for that, the end result to be an arrest necessarily. Having said that, I just looked at statistics today and I saw we had 201 arrests last year. So we certainly have those situations. 200 That's more than I would arrest. have That's almost one every day. Yes. And so, you know, a host of different types of criminal and there were some traffic infractions as well. But again, that's with an organization who says we're not encouraging arrests, but we realize that's going to happen, mm-hmm. right? And at the end of the day, the message is that we want to keep our employees, our patients, our visitors safe. And so we have to find right people, people that have that type of mindset. And Dan reinforces that every day with the team here. Well, and you brought up picking the right person. It reminds me of a story that I know I heard from you, Dan, that you saw someone that you arrested and you were taking them down to jail and they said, thank you. Yes. You want to tell a little bit about that story? Because I think it speaks to what we try to do in healthcare is, you know, respect people at their worst. You know, I learned a lot sometimes from the people that I arrested during my long career. And one of the things was that the way you treat someone sometimes has an impact. And sometimes I dealt with people, not only that individual, but that particular individual was being arrested for a pretty serious crime, potentially going to prison. And he thanked me. And I said, what are you thanking me for? And he said, because you treated me well, even though I had these things pending. And I think that's part of the de-escalation process is, you know, I tell officers, once we arrest someone and we take them into custody, custody denotes care. So we have to start that aftercare, that process of getting that person to understand, hey, we're doing our job and we're trying to keep things safe. This isn't a personal thing against you. This is me doing my job. And I learned that from that individual when he thanked me. I had a lieutenant, the very first lieutenant that I worked for, that said, in this career, without even trying, you're probably going to make some enemies. Try making a friend when you make an arrest. And that always stuck with me. And it came true when that individual said, thank you, that particular day. Those are the little signals you get sometimes to say, okay, maybe I'm on the right track. Those are some of the things that I've absorbed during my career that I try to pass on to new officers to say, This is what I was taught. This is what I'm trying to teach you. 
And this is a unique environment in that people don't necessarily come here to have a drink, like in a bar or something like that. They're coming here for help of some sort for themselves or someone else. So we have to take that into consideration, but we still have to keep the place safe. And we have to send a message that you're welcome here for the help that you need, but you just have to behave so that they can do the work that they need to do to help not only you, but everybody else here. There's a lot of correlation there with healthcare, right? Now, we tend to get them after they've had a few drinks at the bar. Yes, right. Yes, <laughs> as do you guys. But showing that respect when someone's not at their best is so important. And I think mm-hmm. that's, a, that's what we try to do, certainly on a daily basis. Yeah, so it's interesting and unique that we have our own police department. We still have a security department, but we have a police department as well. Like, what are the main differences? Yeah, so I'll let Dan go ahead. He does the day-to-day operations for the police department. And so I'll let him talk about some of the differences that he sees here. Well, the differences are that we have the authority to arrest. We are certified by the state of Ohio to take enforcement action under the Ohio Vice Code. Security has done a wonderful job here for many, many years. They've actually had to rely on calling in Toledo Police, and as we know, Toledo Police is very busy, so sometimes there's a delay in that response here. Sometimes a problem would leave campus or it would resolve itself before the police got here. And one of the things that I think we've talked about at some of the meetings we've had is if you're going to have a statement that says that we don't tolerate aggressive behavior, it doesn't mean anything as a piece of paper on a wall Mm -hmm. until you apply some consequences to that. Part of what I keep reminding people is that although security did a wonderful job, they were hampered by the fact that they couldn't apply those consequences. So when the police department came about, it gave us the opportunity to add that as an enhancement to security. Well, I can tell you that the timing of it is really welcomed as far as things go at the hospital level. You know, we're always trained from a healthcare perspective to de-escalate when we see a patient potentially rising towards violence. And obviously we get people at their worst, right? I mean, they come in and they're not in a situation they want to be in. There's a lot of fear and anxiety involved with it. So having that backup, I'm sure, is exceedingly welcomed by our staff. But I say the timing is great because we've noticed a significant uptick in patient dissatisfaction and violence and violent behavior since COVID. And I think there's certainly some connection there to some extent, but we're seeing more and more of that. And really, I can tell you that looking at our RL6s on a daily basis, knowing the response time, responsiveness, and the security it provides the nurses and the comfort it provides the staff that they know that you guys are there and you've got their back. You mentioned traffic violations. You're not ticketing in the roundabouts, are you? (laughs) No. no. Tailgating? No. It's amazing some of the things that happen here on campus. I was surprised. During my interview, one of the things I keep reminding one of the other directors is he said, you know, ProMedica is not looking for a lot of arrests. You probably never have to make an arrest. And then six months later, he said, how are things going? I said, we're making quite a few arrests. He goes, you are? I said, yeah. These were the things that security couldn't do before, you know. These were the things that were happening that now we're able to address in a positive way. And believe me, we take a lot of effort into trying to get people to de-escalate and sometimes just leave campus and um, 200 incidents where that just didn't work out in the span of a year, that kind of thing. And I think people are starting to get the message that we're not here to arrest everyone that comes to the door. That's certainly not the case. We understand people are coming here for some type of trauma or some type of condition that either affects them or a loved one. So we take that into consideration, but we also have to make sure that it's a safe environment for the hospital to be able to carry on the business that they're here for, that kind of thing. So... Yeah, I think people think the hospital is a safe haven. People come here to get help. There's helping, caring people here waiting for you. 
And the reality is that it's actually a pretty dynamic place. And I think people would be surprised, especially in the community, about actually what we have to deal with from not just a healthcare provider, but also just an employee that works here and the people that we're dealing with. If high emotional, intense situations, then people get upset rather quickly and hard to de-escalate. And de-escalation in itself is a huge skill that I think is difficult to master. Yeah, you know, I think, first of all, I think we do a great job of keeping the environment safe, but you're right. I don't think that the general public has an awareness as to what goes on, right? It's like its own little city here. Mm-hmm. It really is. And and, and I got to tell you, one of the first, if not the first arrest that we made was a patient who had pulled a knife on a nurse. And after that patient was discharged, we arrested him and took him to the county jail. And the message that came back was, first of all, when they when we took him there, the sheriff's department said, well, we didn't realize ProMedica had a police department. But the comment from the individual was, yes, and they don't mess around, right? And so that's the message that as a chief, mm-hmm. I want to be out there for those types of people, right? I want them to know that you're not going to come into this hospital. You're not going to, when in this case, pull a knife on a nurse, assault a nurse, assault a staff member, because we aren't going to tolerate it and we're going to hold you accountable. Do you think that staff realize that there's a police department here, that we have our own police department and our security department and how they work together? Yeah. So first of all, our security and our police do a tremendous job working together hand in hand. I think that as far as staff, and Dan can speak to this as well, I think that they're starting to understand that and see that, right? I think early on, there were some maybe were accustomed to the limitations that security had. And now that they're seeing that we're able to do a few things in addition to what we could do before, right? Whether it's physically remove someone from the hospital, things of that nature, and some of the arrests that we've made to support staff, things of that nature, I think that they're starting to see and appreciate the police department aspect. Dan, your thoughts on that? It, and we've had to explain some of the terminology. It's something as simple as asking a nurse that's been assaulted, do you want to file charges? And I think there was a misconception. We are the ones that file those charges. But I think we had to explain that. In the very first arrest that we had here, we had a conference in one of the conference rooms. And one of the nurses that was in charge of that floor said, I discourage my nurses from participating in that process of the prosecution of a case because they would have to hire an attorney. And I said, no, no, the state provides you an attorney. They're called prosecutors. So I think a lot of times we assume that people understand how the criminal justice system works. So part of our job is to educate the community here to say, that's what we're here for. We're here to take care of those issues. What I really should be asking is, do you support, because you are the one that was offended, so you have to be the person that is participant in that process. But we're not saying you have to file the charges. We will do that. And it's those types of educational things that we had to do to encourage the community. One of the things that I talked about at one of the presentations was that part of our job is to earn the trust and the confidence of the community that we police. That goes with any police department, whether it's a municipal police department. If you don't have that trust and support, then you're going to struggle. So that's been part of our journey is to try to say, we're here. Here's what we do. Here's what we can do for you. Here's how we can help you. And we will carry the load of that. But we will need you to be participant in that process. And I think it's coming along. It takes time, but I think we're doing well with that. So, Yeah, I think a couple of the challenges we've had is where maybe those victims didn't recognize that they would have to be a witness in the case, right? So we come in, we make the arrest, we take the individual out, and at some point we get a subpoena for our staff. And then our staff starts becoming uncomfortable about appearing in court and so forth and not realizing that you know they're part of that process. They're part of that, that, that team to prosecute that case. So 
I know we've had a couple of challenges with that, but again, I think it's incumbent upon us to educate folks as far as what it means now when you're the victim, when you're filing a complaint and things like that, what court's going to look like. We'll accompany you to the court. Prosecutor's going to represent you in court, represent the state, but just, again, just an educational opportunity. You know, the very first arrest we had, and it was two nurses that got threatened with a gentleman with a knife, and they went to court numerous times. That's the way the court system works. And I apologized to them. I said, I'm sorry I had to come this many times. They said, we'll come as many times as, as we need to to make sure that this doesn't happen to somebody else. And I saw there's an empowerment for those people. Now they've taken charge of this thing and say, I have all this support and I'm not afraid to do this anymore. And it was very nice to see that change in those individuals where they were the victim and they were scared. And now I'm no longer scared. I can show up in court and I can confront this guy because what he did was not right. And I think that's the process that you see sometimes when people are actually walk through that. They've never been to court before. A lot of people have no reason to ever call the police have no reason to ever go to a criminal proceeding. So it's uh, it's a scary thing. Even for police officers, the first time they have to testify is a scary thing. So once you walk through it, you understand, and you're able to relate that to other people too. So that's the nice thing. Well, we tend to take on a lot in healthcare, right? I mean, I've been punched, spit at, and cussed mm-hmm. at, and whatnot, and, you know, at home and at work. <laughs> but no, all joking aside, but I mean, we, we do tend to, I don't want to say disregard that here in the healthcare system, but sometimes we don't think it's necessary to take it to the next step. And that's a great story hearing about those two nurses doing that and really kind of impacting things for their colleagues and people around the community. That's really what we need to do to be a civil community. Yeah. When I was a baby nurse, I worked at a different facility that had some pretty intense clientele. And I worked in the ICU, the trauma ICU. And I was caring for a younger gentleman who had been a victim of a gang fight. I was nine months pregnant. and It was the end of my shift. I was emptying his urinal. And I hear a little bit of commotion. This room was by the door. Our, our department was locked, like so you could not get in it without badge access. Um, heard a little bit of commotion as I was going into the bathroom to empty the urine. And I was shoved into the bathroom, and then the door was barricaded shut where I couldn't like I tried to open the door and I couldn't get out um being nine months pregnant with my first child I was rather scared but I didn't really know what to do so I hit the call light you can hear a lot of commotion outside the door so people came down it took a a few minutes it felt like forever but it took a few minutes for them to realize that I was in the bathroom (laughs) you know so they they security was there and they took out the people that were not supposed to be there they were coming to finish some business for my patient and, you know, business as usual after that. And so it was the end of my shift, so I got to leave. But I will tell you that the fear and how fast my heart rate was when you feel someone shove you from behind and then barricade you in the door or into the bathroom. But it was like business as usual. There was no debriefing or follow-up or are you okay? And then when I walked out, because this was not in a good part of town, but when I walked out to my car... I was afraid that someone would be waiting for me because I'm the one that alerted help to come. And I ended up leaving that organization, not for just that, but that was a big factor of like, I went into work today, I'm pregnant, and I could have been, that could have ended much worse if I was in a different part of the room. So I think that providing the support and protection for our staff gives a feeling of safety and comfort when they come into work. 
That's 100%. And I think that's why getting the word out there and really raising awareness. I mean, I remember the ribbon cutting when we opened the department down there. It was fantastic. But I agree. And that's a great story for sharing, Christy. I'm sorry you had to go through that. Mm. But yeah, raising awareness, I think, will help empower the rest of our people to realize and our staff that we've got help and it's here and it's easy to engage and their their responsive rate has been fantastic and quick. Yeah, you know, and, and when I hear you say it, it seemed like forever, and it does, right? That 15 seconds seems like 15 mm-hmm. minutes. And we've seen some of that here where you know, our employees felt like it took forever. And, and we start looking at dispatch logs and cameras and, and so forth and maybe find out, you know, maybe it was a minute, right? But that minute seemed much longer mm-hmm. than that, right? And so I understand how you felt there. And certainly, I think we have a pretty good response time now throughout this campus. Uh, when I Again, when I was in Bowling Green, we felt like a good response time was anything under three minutes. And that was a pretty small community. And I think in most cases here, we're looking at a, a minute, maybe. You know, yeah, so, and this is a big geographical yeah, location, yeah. a lot of crooks and crannies. So yeah. I think a minute is pretty good. Yeah. More square footage than the Empire State Building. Yeah. Yeah. We heard for that. Didn't from know Liz. that. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, we heard that. That's from one Liz. of our podcasts, previous okay. ones. All but, right. you know, wow. Shameless plug. Sure. But no, and I think too, we've got officers pretty much strategically placed in those areas where we typically have those problems. But then also if we've identified the example of the patient with the knife, he's been back here since that time, right? And of course we have an obligation to treat him. And so anytime we know he comes in, we develop a safety plan with our staff and we're on his hip as he's here, Mm -hmm. right? Until he leaves. And so again, we, we try to be sensitive to that stuff and develop those types of plans as well. The other thing that's happened, too, is when these cases go to court, it's interesting to hear back from the judges. They do not appreciate. Matter of fact, they're very unhappy with the things that are happening in hospitals. And we've seen conditions attached to the conviction of that case that say, you are not allowed to go back to that hospital except if you're having some type of emergency procedure and you cannot misbehave. And that's attached to whatever probation or other conditions are placed on that person. It does have an impact. Immediately, if they come on campus, for example, as visitors, they're not allowed here. They're not here for medical treatment. So they can't, they don't have the opportunity to cause those problems. Yeah, that would be tough if you had, you know, a loved one here. Yes. How many people come in and out of here every day that don't cause any problem, Mm -hmm. you know? So we have to look at it. In any situation, when you're taking enforcement action, you find out that it's a very small portion of that population that's actually causing those problems, even though you're dealing with it every day. Sometimes you get the repeat offenders that you keep dealing with over and over. And it amazes me that they keep coming back even though, you know, you take enforcement action against them, that kind of thing. So, My husband, his profession was police officer. It is not an easy job. There's a lot of barriers to it, especially in a very small community. But what kind of barriers are you finding today with officers and recruitment and retainment? Boy, we're fighting for officers all over. You know, some things have happened, and I can say this just from the department that I come from. You know, we talk about the pandemic. We talk about the mass resignation that has occurred. And I came from the city of Perrysburg as a chief there. I retired there. And they have hired their department of about 40, and they've hired over 20 people there. So half of their department is gone. So you've lost a we lot of We can relate that. in healthcare. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and it's very similar. But- In addition to that, because that isn't unique to the city of Perrysburg, that's everywhere. So 
you've had to make adjustments for how you hire people. And you have to be careful that those adjustments don't impact the quality of mm -hmm. candidates that you're getting. I mean, I have a drawer full of people that we've turned away just right. because they weren't a good fit. Doesn't mean they're bad people. It's that we have to look at it. And what I say to candidates whenever they come in, I say, part of this process is for you to determine, is this the right place for me to work? And for us to determine, are you the right person to be working here? Mm -hmm. And if those things don't come together, then it's probably not going to happen. So we look at that. We can't give up that process and we can't deviate too far from it. So the challenge is attracting people. In addition to that, law enforcement is changing as a whole. And we don't do law enforcement the way we did in 1980 when I started. That has gone away. I think communities in general and the public all over is demanding a different type of service, and we have to adjust to that. And there's been some resistance from that. Some of the bad publicity we get, I have to be honest, as police, we own some of that. We've made some mistakes along the way. Not me personally, but I'm still impacted by those mistakes. So we have to regain the trust of the communities that we police. And I think every department has to do it for their own community. So those are the challenges that we're facing, but we're not, it's not unique to us. So what we want to do is to get the right people here and speed through the process of trying to train them. And I'll tell you, one of the challenges we're going to face here is this is a wonderful learning environment mm -hmm. at, at this hospital because you have to learn to treat people in a certain way that is what the public is demanding they be treated away from here too. So this is a good proving ground for our officers. I think if you can learn to do good police work here, you could work anywhere, you know, because you've learned to de-escalate. You've learned to look at things from the perspective of the individual that you're dealing with, those kind of things. Retention is going to be an issue, you know, because we've got some young officers. They're going to be here for a while. They're going to gain some very good skills here. Are they going to be swept away by some other department? So that's going to be a challenge as we move forward. Sounds similar. In so many ways, I mean, you talk about reputation and some of the things that are out there from a publicity standpoint, we deal with that in healthcare, mm -hmm. right? And we take that very uh, to heart when that happens. When I hear about something negative happening, we're tarnished by that, and that's hard to mm -hmm. take sometimes. And the same thing with workforce management and retention and whatnot, everything you described is the same exact things we're dealing with for sure. Yeah. yeah, we're seeing that in security as well. So what I'd like to look at is the opportunity to take some of our security officers who would like to be police officers and for Prometic in some fashion to fund their basic police basic training and then some sort of a contract with them that they would sign on with us maybe for a couple of years. But again, try to find our candidates for the police department through the organization, people that mm -hmm. are already familiar with us and we're familiar with them. And it's those younger guys, right, that have come in here, gotten some great experience. A lot of departments right now are doing lateral transfers. So if you've got two years experience, you can transfer into a TPD and places like that with two years experience. It isn't like it used to be. You know, when I sat for an exam in 1981, there was 150 officers sitting for that exam. Anymore, I hear quite often departments maybe have six openings and they only have five applicants. And we're hearing that around here. Mm -hmm. And so again, can we find those internal candidates who are already doing something for this organization, who love this organization, who would like to be police officers that we can help, you know, kind of get to that next step? That's the right way to do it. I mean, it makes me think of the academic affiliation, not to bring that into to play, but it's, you know, educate, recruit, and retain. Right. I mean, that's really the best model. You know, the interesting thing is that I have a connection with the chief of police in Dublin, Ohio. And he it's his recently, son, by the way. But anyhow. <laughs> it's my son. We He's recently got, a got together around the holidays, and one of our officers here had applied there before. 
and there was a bad snowstorm and he didn't make it down for the test. And he said, Dad, tell him we're not testing anymore. He's got experience now. You can be a lateral entry. Make sure you send him this information. It's like, hold on a second. That's happening all over the place. It's who can offer the best opportunity. The opportunity we offer here is the ability to learn some of these very necessary skills. I mean, this is a, I can't stress enough how you have the opportunity to learn so much here in a very short period of time. Well, so. it's interesting. Real quick, you, you said your son's also in law enforcement. I have three sons, but none of them in medicine. So, you know, my therapist says I'm almost over it. But <laughs> how was that with your son going through that? How did you feel about that? How did your wife feel about that? Did you guys have some apprehension? I know you got four kids, I believe, right? I do have four yeah, kids. Yeah. And I never encouraged him to follow any specific career path. When he decided he wanted to go to college and study criminal justice, I said, you don't have to do that because of me. And he looked at me and said, Dad, this has nothing to do with you. Okay. <laughs> Perfect answer. Yeah. You know, I mean, that was his 18-year-old answer, you know. So as time went on, he received an award one time. He and another officer went into a, a flooded creek because a car got knocked into there. And the lady that was in the vehicle was wearing braces on her legs. She couldn't walk. So they had to help her. My son is not a good swimmer. I mean, and it was probably, water was probably chest deep. So it was pretty scary. But they managed to get her to the shore and the fire department arrived. So he got an award. And after that, he said, Dad, remember I told you this wasn't about you? And I said, yeah, that's fine. He said it was. He said, I didn't go into police work because of the work that you did. It's the way you did it. And I started out in a small community where I grew up. So we would run into people that I arrested. And I think what he saw was the interaction with those people. They weren't angry with me. A lot, a lot of times they were apologetic. And I think he learned that process. He started out in the city of Oregon. He later transferred to Dublin, but he carries on that same tradition of saying, we have to do police work in a certain way, but quit trying to steal my guys, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, we'll be worried if he brings you lunch one day with some recruitment campaign tools. <laughs> yeah. We'll call security. Yeah. We'll, yeah. we'll trust We'll trust yeah, him from the guy. property. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So. And Brad, what's your son doing? So my son is a supervisor at the Home Depot Distribution Center. Actually, Dan's daughter helped my son get that job. My son got out of college and was looking in his major, which is sports management and so forth, wanted to work in the college environment and just wasn't having any luck. And so Dan said they're looking for good people, supervisors out there. And so he hooked up with Nicole and he's been there for a year and a half and he loves the just a great atmosphere and they seem to like him, everything we hear. So it's right now it's a great fit. So oh, yes. Yeah. So it sounds like there's a lot of connection between your families, which is great. So I got to ask you, Dan, is Brad as nearly as good a fisherman as he claims to be? I've seen he catches a lot of fish or he a buys a lot of fish. I don't know. So I can say I have a lot of pictures of fish. Anyhow, <laughs> yeah. right? He there's said he liked to disco dance too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, back in true. the day. Yeah. 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 We've got a place on the lake and we love to spend our time up there in the summer months. And in fact, just with family in general. So my son and I actually were out to the Fiesta Bowl over the weekend. So watching Michigan get beat up by TCU. We were TCU fans. So uh, just spend the time with family. That's what I enjoy doing. And the lake provides me that opportunity to do that. That's awesome. That's why we work, right? So yeah. We can yeah. Relax and play a little bit. Yeah. So with that 40 years of police work, you had a hit on you. I did. Yeah. Elaborate, sir. Yeah, I had a contract put out on me. So it was the late 80s, and I was just a street cop at the time, made a traffic stop for DUI, which ended up finding an ounce of cocaine in the car. 
And little did I know that the individual I arrested was a part of a major drug cartel in Northwest Ohio, Southeast Michigan. And so while he was awaiting trial, they approached a jailhouse snitch and was looking for somebody to kill a cop. And that cop was me. And so uh, Betty Montgomery, who later then became the attorney general for the state of Ohio, was the prosecutor at the time in Wood County, cut a deal with this jailhouse snitch uh, as far as getting information. He ended up making an introduction to this guy's family. So the guy's still in jail, but his brother and another guy met with an undercover FBI agent. And so they had a picture of me, gave him some cash and drugs, and talked about how they wanted me killed and you know, my body not be found. The FBI had the place surrounded, as you would imagine. And then they set up a second meeting with these guys. And so on the second meeting, these guys say, you know what, forget about the hit on the cop. We've got somebody else to kill him. We want you to kill this guy. And they have another picture that they slide to the FBI. The agent decides, they decide they need to go ahead and arrest these guys because they didn't know who it was that they had since hired to, to kill me. And so three guys got convicted of conspiracy to commit murder on a police officer, drug trafficking, and, and numerous other charges. That was my... Uh, that was my contract. That is straight up law and order right there. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. How did you handle yeah, that, that and your family and yeah, so know, was going my, to work every day? Yeah, that was my first marriage. That didn't work out so well because my wife at that time was afraid to go start her car. And, you know, we couldn't tell people because we didn't know who knew who and so forth. And so they ended up moving me out of town. She moved up into Michigan with some folks. She just started a new job. So it was a tough time. I was out of town. Uh, I moved back to Lima, actually, around with some friends for a couple of weeks while this whole thing was going on. So it was tough, but it was something at the time I took a great interest in in finding out who the players in Northwest Ohio were. And then so shortly after that, I actually went to the detective bureau and started working undercover narcotics. And that kind of helped me with that aspect of my career because I knew a lot of the players. The things that change your path yeah. in life. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Wow. It, Taking a negative and making a positive. Yeah. You know, at, at the time, certainly it was it was harrowing for the family. I look back at, as a cop, it was just part of that. I was that young cop, and it was just part of the, what came with the job, whether it was adrenaline or whatever, right? It's just never my wildest dreams that I knew all that would come out of a what was it, supposed to be a simple DUI traffic stop, but that's mm -hmm. that's what came of it. So, yeah. That's absolutely wow. crazy. That is. Yeah. Huh. I think one of the things that Brad's story highlights is sometimes we say, you know, when a police officer retires, and my son reminded me of this, she said, if you really want to thank a police officer, go thank their family because they sacrifice a lot too. Mm -hmm. I mean, they have to live with those things. And in your case, it didn't work out well. Led to a divorce. But yeah. in any police officer's long career, there's going to be maybe not to that extent, but something that worries them, you know. And the family goes through a lot of that. I think about my kids growing up and seeing some of the, we were in a small community and I'd get approached. I make it sound like everybody loved me there, everybody that I arrested, but there were those that didn't. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I got confronted by those people. My kids had to watch that. They grew up with that. And that has an impact on them too. It, it is a difficult job. And I can't imagine being a child and my and one of my parents was a police officer because I think there was a lot of stress with that as well. At the same time, I look at Dan's children, I look at my son, and I think we also kind of set the foundation for our kids to be on the right path, too, mm -hmm. right? And, and certainly, I'm sure that there's those cases that that's not the case, but I know our children are going to be very successful, whether it's in the job or in the way that they treat people, right, just as human beings. And I think that's part of what comes with us and our backgrounds as well, as far as, you know, the expectations that we put in our children. I used to tell my son when he would leave, I would say, 
as a young teenager, and I never had really any concerns. He'd get into mischief, but I always say, remember who you are and remember who you represent, right? And, and so I would send him with those messages as he walked out the door, and, and I'm confident he never forgot that, right? So I think there's those benefits as well. You know, it's interesting you say that because my kids grew up without many opportunities to get away with stuff, small community, everybody knew who they were. But that in itself is a sacrifice, you know. Mm -hmm. We moved from a small community over in Huron County to Maumee, and then I worked in Perrysburg, so we didn't live in the same community. I asked my son, I said, how do you like living in a bigger city? And he said, I don't get threatened at school every day. <laughs> uh <-huh>. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't realize that's going on, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. But those are the sacrifices of the family that go on. So It's definitely a tough job, and we thank you because not everybody is meant to do it. And they've been so appreciative of it and so supportive that, you know, they just thought it was a natural thing. My kids were very little when I became a police officer, so they always knew me as that's what I did. I attended the retirement. I think you were probably there for uh, somebody that we both highly respect. Very good friend of Brad's. I'm not as close to him, but I, I truly respect. And at his retirement, I remember he's finishing up his little retirement speech, and he said, he stole my line. I wanted to say this. He goes, most days I would have done it for free. Sure. Those yep. are true believers. You know, I mean, they do it for the passion of the job, not so much for the money. Well, when I started in 1979, I just told my son this the other day, I was working for $2.35 an hour at yeah. Fort Shawnee as a first full-time police officer. So oh my darn near free at two thirty-five dollars an yeah. hour, right? Yeah. No tips for police officers either, no, huh? No. Nope. College education, the old CETA program, you guys are probably too young to remember that. but Of course uh, yeah, I am. Yeah, opportunity to go to college, that was about <laughs> it. Yeah. Well, I've got shoes older than Christy, but that's okay. She's I'll let you think that. I don't know if folks realize that we have a system security department. So with that. Yes, let's talk about that. Because, right? yeah. you know, what keeps us safe is yeah. securities included. Right. So when we talk about security, again, it's a system perspective, right? And so when I was brought into the organization about seven and a half years ago, that was the mandate. Don Buskey and others brought me here as a result of a consultant's report and said, here's some things we need to do. When we looked at security, we were in silos, different uniforms, different policies, different practices, and so forth. So we tried to standardize all that, right? I'm very pleased with where we're at today because we look at the standardization, whether it's the uniforms, the policies, the practices, the hiring practices, the expectations of the team. I look at the fact that we have two security technology specialists. So when we look at access control, cameras, badges that all of our employees mm -hmm. carry and so forth, my team has responsibility for that. When we look at education, we have two security education officers. So Andrew Springer, who I say is the face of the security team, and Ed Wagner, who do a tremendous job for us as far as system-wide, teaching mm -hmm. de-escalation, active attack, or things of that nature. And those were not things that existed prior. The fact that we've got directors now for, so we've got Alex Young, who's our director for the North Region. So he's got Coldwater, Monroe, and Hickman. Eric Burke has Fremont Fustory Defiance. Of course, Don Sullivan, who you guys know and love, is at Toledo, Wildwood, North Campus, and so forth. And then Jim Collins, who's got Flower and Bay Park. And I tell you, for me, as a police officer who had no background in, in hospital security, to come to this organization and to have Don Sullivan, 40 years with this organization, Jim Collins with doggone near that much, I think 38 years, as my right and left-hand guys, right, to guide me, to lead me, to help me lead this team 
was just a tremendous opportunity for me when I came here. And just nothing but the utmost respect for those guys. But again, they've helped build this, right? Where we're at today, they've helped build all of this. And so when you look at our canines, right, here at Toledo Hospital, the security mm-hmm. canines, we started with three, unfortunately lost one to some health issues. But again, just a tremendous resource. And just the things that we as a team, the police department, which we've talked extensively about, that we as a team have had an opportunity to build and just... So excited when I look at what we've accomplished in the last seven and a half years, and and certainly the men and the women have been part of that, right? Our our security team have been part of that and have embraced the police department. And there were some apprehensions early Mm -hmm. on, right? There was concerns that, hey, the police are going to come in, we're going to do away with security, we're going to have just a 100% police department, and that's never been the plan. We're always going to have the security police model. But the folks who have helped build that along the way. We want to make sure we give those folks the shout out that they deserve, right, for what they do here every day, because at least in the case of Toledo Hospital, they were handling the same people the police department yep. handles, right? But they were doing it without the opportunity for arrest. And I will say, I came from Flower, that's how I entered Permedica, sure. and we had one security guard per shift, and they wore a suit and tie. And there was such a difference in how people responded to them when they had a uniform change. Yes. So when they came out with a suit and tie, it was more of, what are you, the concierge? Like, right. Versus when they had the uniform changed and they came up, it was like, okay, this is security. So that was such a simple thing, but an important thing. Yeah. When I came to the organization, again, the uniforms, things that we had to standardize. But to your point, I always said, you know, our most effective tools were de-escalation and presentation, right? You want to look professional in the way that you present yourself to the public when you come in the door, look like you know what you're doing. And then, of course, that de-escalation piece, which we train all of our officers in Aegis de-escalation. So overall, just between the police, the security, the other resources that we have, just just very happy with where this organization has taken us in the last seven and a half years, Mm -hmm. the support that we've gotten from Arturo, Dawn, to make these things happen. Yeah, just continue to strive to go upwards is what I tell the team, right? We can always make improvements, but we've made a lot of great strides in the last seven and a half years. Yeah, they are a very important piece of the safety program here, for sure. absolutely. People depend on them. Well, great job, Brad. It does. It provides a lot of, we're a safety organization, right? Safety first and that security and, and safety for our employees is so important. So yes. I can't tell you how impactful it's been and it's going to continue to grow and develop. Awesome. Very good. All right, guys. You guys, right. thank you. Great. Thank, thank you great so job. much. Thank you. thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. Ratings and comments on those platforms will help us grow the podcast, and we appreciate the boost. Take Take care. care.